Hannah Decker-Keels joined me on this episode. Hannah has been diagnosed three times with three different types of breast cancer. Her initial diagnosis came in August 2016 when she was 42 years old. A year later, the cancer had spread and mutated into a different type of cancer. After two and a half years of being stable, the cancer once again spread and mutated into a third type of cancer. Hannah talks about her treatments, writing her book, getting married, and starting a foundation with her new husband called Living Hope Cancer Foundation. Take a listen in as Hannah shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Thank you so much for being with me today, Hannah. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you. So let's talk a little bit about your story, um, just kind of where it started. So I know, um, you know, we had talked about, I had introduced that, you know, you were diagnosed when you were 42 in August of 2016. What was going on for you? Were you getting a baseline mammogram? Were you doing a self-exam? Um, you know, where does your story start? Start. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, so I actually found it myself. Um, didn't really do regular self-checks, but kind of, I guess, knew what was going on in my body. Um, and actually, three months before I found the lump in my breast, uh, my husband of 20, 21 years plus um, decided to leave me kind of really uh, unexpectedly, and it just shook me, and I cried literally for three months straight. And then found my lump. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I, I'm a nurse. So I was like, it's a cyst. You know, I'm going to sit on it for a month. Let me see, like, if this goes away. I'd never really had any issues before. And um, it wasn't going away. And you just get that niggly feeling like you've got to deal with this. So I called. And I just moved here six months prior. So I didn't really know any kind of doctor situation. I didn't, I didn't have a regular gynecologist yet. So I just kind of looked it up. Googled it and found a breast care center in Arizona and called them. And it took like six weeks to be seen. Um, in retrospect, I wish I had been quicker. So at this point, you're kind of like two and a half months out from finding the lump. When yes. You were seen. Okay. Yeah. So it ended up being like July, uh, late July. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do an ultrasound. And then when I had my ultrasound, she's like, you need to get upstairs right away to get a, a mag- mammogram. And then also decided I needed a high-definition ultrasound. And that day, I was there for hours. That day, they already started using the C word. And they were like, we really think it's cancer. And the next day, I was scheduled to go on a missions trip to Fiji. (laughs) And I was like, can I still go? And they're like, please go. Just have a good time. Oh, wow. That gave me chills. Yeah. And the next morning that I got back, I was gone for 12 days. I had my biopsy. So that whole time I was away, I was like, I think I have cancer, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So that was, that was a really rough, weird time for me. Yeah. And I just sure. gone through a big separation. So that was August 15th of 2016, four years ago this month, 
was when I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, high grade. So it was really fast growing and it was triple positive. So had Um, you done a baseline mammogram prior to all of this? No, No. that's kind of crunchy and just never really felt like squishing your breasts was a great idea. Well, and it's kind of hard because I know the the guidelines are, you know, sometimes some years it's 40 and sometimes... You know, it's 50, right. it's always changing. So nobody really knows when to go. Um, yeah. So I wasn't sure if, if that was the case. And was there any like family history or anything? No, my, just my paternal grandmother had it when she was like 78. Okay. And usually when it's that late in the game, they don't consider it hereditary. So no, I don't have any family history at all. Like, okay. I'm the only person. I have two sisters, I have a mom, lots of aunts, and none of them have breast cancer. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like it threw me cause I was considered to be the healthy one, like, you know, ate all organic and paleo and exercise somewhat regularly and just lived more of a healthy lifestyle. So for me, I really felt like it was just big emotional, just unbalance in my life that yeah. really just upset everything in my, my whole body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, yeah. And that's the, you know, that's kind of the hard part is sometimes we, you know, trauma can lead to many yeah. other things. Um, yeah, you know, for our, sure. our bodies, um, you know, are sensitive to those kind of things that unbalance and upset and, um, mm. you know, all of that stuff. So you said, um, you said it was triple positive. Yes. Okay. And, and um, stage three fast growing. So, you know, I mean, first of all, like, it's surprising, but also, um you know, like I said, it kind of gave me the chills that they were like, go to Fiji, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, just because I'm sure that when they're looking at it, you know, they're, they're trained, they know, um, Mm -hmm. and they probably realize like, this is, this is probably something, you know, bigger. Um, Mm -hmm. and I I don't know how they determine exactly the stage and all of that. I mean, I know that I know Mm -hmm. how they do it, but in terms of like, um, using all of the tools, I don't know what, what they use to make that determination, but mm. you know, I, that that's kind of exciting. So, um, that they let you go to Fiji. Yes. Um, I mean, really what a, what a great experience to have, um, before you kind of walked into, um, the storm really. Yeah. It gave me a lot of perspective. I think yeah. on, you know, what's really important and going there and these people are just destitute, completely impoverished. And I specified, I specifically work in eye surgery when I was working. And so just to be able to give people vision, which is really special. And it just took me out of the whole realm in a good way yeah, <laughs> and good. came back fighting. Like I was ready to figure out what to do next. And yeah, okay. so August I got diagnosed. September I had my divorce. October they scheduled my double mastectomy with immediate implants. Oh my gosh. So it was just like one thing after another. Um, I actually refused chemo and radiation at the time Okay. and did, I went alternative and did really high megadose vitamin C treatments for about 10, 12 months. So was yeah. it like, was it just the concern of the toxicity related to chemo and radiation or, you know, what, what kind of led you to that decision? Yeah, for me, it was something I'd always told myself, um, what, I knew it was, for me, it was more of an immune system problem as well. So 
I thought, hey, if I'm going to knock out my immune system with chemo, I'm never going to be able to fight this. So actually, the vitamin therapy worked really well for <laughs> 10 to 12 months. And then um, about a year later, because I would just keep having scans, I would do CT scans every three months just to keep an eye on what was going on. Everything was shrinking, tiny, 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 almost immeasurable. And then all of a sudden, it just blew up all over my chest wall lungs and armpits. So were your doctors on board with you not doing the chemo and the radiation? <laughs> no. <laughs> I um, kind of figured not. I, mean, I most, said that, yeah, you know. Most oncologists won't because it's not standard protocol, standard right. of care. But the one I had, the doctor I had, he was kind of like, okay, I don't agree with you, but I will help you. You know, I'm just going to help, okay. you know, I'll order the scans and if you want whatever tests you want, let me know. So it's very interesting because I ended up going back to him more recently. Um, <laughs> that's another part of the story. But um, yeah, so I have a really good relationship with him. And I think that's huge for when you go through this, that you have a doctor you trust, right? You so really have a great connection with. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I, I definitely feel like you have to have that connection with your doctor. Um, mm. And if you don't, then it's, you know, really within your interest to pursue a different doctor. For um, sure. Yeah. So, so when you went back, you said it was about 10 or 12 months um, that the vitamin C was working and then things kind of exploded. So mm -hmm. was it the same doctor? Hmm. So at the time I still had the same doctor. He wasn't giving okay. me the IV treatment. I was going to somebody else for that, but he was kind of like in the background. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so at that time I did, um, However, I was actually on a different insurance, so I was able to go to Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Okay, yeah. Um, originally was diagnosed at Mayo, and then actually interviewed three different oncologists and decided to go with cancer treatment. So that was kind of an interesting part of my journey, too, because I'm an OR nurse by profession and was very comfortable with doctors and realizing, like, I wanted to interview and work with whoever I was comfortable with. And um, it was interesting because I got three different treatment plans from three different doctors with this I had the same diagnosis <laughs> yeah. you know so so it's just very interesting noticing that even now standard of care is whatever the doctor decides it's yeah, gonna be it's not really standard <laughs> yeah um so yeah. yeah so that that year later when they when everything exploded they did a biopsy of a node next to my trachea paratracheal node and they found that I had hormone positive, HER2 negative. So actually my cancer mutated. And that actually gave me the ability to go on oral medication instead of chemo. So it's sort of like an oral chemo. They they sometimes will call it chemotherapy, but technically it's it works on the cellular level. So right. it's a targeted therapy. Um, so when I met you, <laughs> um, that's what I was on okay. um, for a couple months already. So it was a hormone blocker and a targeted therapy that I would just take every... Every day. So how big was days. the initial tumor? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, mm. How much? How big was the initial tumor? Do you remember? Not very big. It was 1.2 centimeters. Okay. And then yeah. lymph node involvement. Yes, eight out of ten in my right armpit okay. were involved. And then so they removed them all. Okay. And then so that one that was triple positive. So they they mm -hmm. removed your breast. Um, mm -hmm. did the implants, did all of that. They removed the tumors, I'm mm -hmm. assuming, um, removed the lymph nodes. So then it, it mutated, but it mutated into a different cancer? 
Like yes. it's so it's it was ER PR positive, but her two negative her two negative now. Yes. Yes. That's the crazy like that's crazy. Yes. And it gets crazier. <laughs> the story continues. So I was on iBrands and Letrosol for two and a half years. Pretty stable. Like there's times I had nothing and then it came back. Um and then it was just stable for about two years straight. Like there's no growth. Mm-hmm. Just was like a few little nodules, a few little lymph nodes, nothing really changing. And um, again, I was still every three months. I was having scans. I went back to my um, oncologist that I'd been going to because again, my insurance changed because I stopped working. Went on social security disability, which I highly recommend if you do get stage four diagnosis. Um, it actually gave me a lot of freedom to focus on my kids. I had okay. four teenagers at the time, um, was a single mom. They lived with me. And so it just took all that weight off of like having to work and just getting to kind of live my life. And I actually started getting to travel a little bit. Um, I was born in Holland. So I went back to Holland two times in the last few years just to reconnect with all of my family. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, it's just really special. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking like, you know, I mean, I don't know anything in terms of like your ex-husband and, um, you know, what kind of financial support he provided for the kids, um, you know, but to think about like, number one, here you are just recently divorced, um, you know, Mm -hmm. now you're a single mom, you have four boys, um, Mm -hmm. you know, teenagers at that. So I would imagine that there's, you know, sports and activities and all of those things. And then you're fighting stage three breast cancer like I just and and trying to figure out how mm. to provide for them yeah and that was a lot that was real it was a lot and actually my husband my ex-husband didn't provide for us for a year and a half oh my gosh so I had to work you know and so when I when everything progressed um this provided like some stability for me at least have yeah. fixed income but so eventually a lot of that got resolved but um it was a really big test of my faith too and I think that's such a big part of my story um, that, you know, I just realized I didn't have to trust in myself or my ex-husband to provide, but God was really providing for me at that time. And through all different ways, like people would just send me checks here and there, hand me money. It was like the craziest thing. I was always very overwhelmed by their generosity, but always taken care of. Like yeah. in the, just in times where it was just exactly what I needed at the time. So yeah, well, yeah sometimes- it was pretty... Sometimes, you know, humans show up in ways that we don't expect. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I've, I've had a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm glad. So, so in terms of, you know, the second diagnosis, um, you know, did you have to do any radiation or, you know, was it just that oral chemo? Um, yeah, it was just the oral pill that I had okay. to take. And um, not to say just. Because but. radiation, yeah, I know. <laughs> radiation, um is usually not like if you have scattered lymph node involvement, they don't, there's not like one thing to radiate. There's too much. So it's okay. just not really part of the protocol. Um, and that, you know, I was doing the protocol then <laughs> at that point. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, little, another long story short, last summer I ended up writing a book and finishing my book because I wanted to tell my story of some of the losses I'd gone through. Um, and so I finished it up last July and I came home and I was like, I'm trying to figure out how to publish this thing. I don't know how to publish it. 
I know I have to probably self-publish it. So I was telling one of my best friends, and she's like, I don't know why I never told you about my cousin. He just self-published a book. You should talk to him. He survived end-stage cancer. I was like, okay. She's like, well, his name is Chuck Keels. Why don't you look him up on Facebook? I don't have his cell phone number. So I went home, and this is exactly a year ago, uh, in August of 2019, and I went and Googled Chuck Keels. And um, I was like, I'm just going to send him a message on Messenger. However, he had 5,000 friends. And when you have 5,000 <laughs> friends, you, you can't, can't become his friend. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to message him. And if he ever finds it, I'll be happy. And if he doesn't, you know, no harm done. So I sent it August 28th, which is a couple days ago, um, last year. And uh, a whole month later, he found it on September 28th. Oh my gosh. And I happened to be out of town. I was out of country actually visiting Holland, people in Holland. And um, he starts messaging me. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't see this message. Let's get together for coffee. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of out of the country. It's going to be a few weeks before I get home. So we just started messaging back and forth. And he's stalking my page and asking me all these questions. And um, we start video chatting and Two weeks later, I get back to the States and he picks me up from the airport with flowers. Oh, and my God. We spent two hours talking in the car before he, like, I went inside and totally <laughs> jet lagged and oh. had breakfast the next morning and just pretty much saw each other ever since. Um, so that was October 9th, which is, this is a fun part of the story, I think. Um, so October 9th, he picked me up. We got engaged November 14th. Married January 1st. Well, so I saw you in October of 2019. Yes. And um, when I saw you, which it was very unexpected, I wasn't expecting to see you at the the event where we were. Mm -hmm. And um, I was super excited to see you just in general. Yeah. But then when I saw you with this man, and I, you know, I had known about your ex-husband and, you know, the divorce. Mm -hmm. And when I saw you with him, I <laughs> was so excited. And I could just see you know, the, the light and the shine mm -hmm. that just radiated off of both of you. Like, it just gives me chills thinking about because, um, I mean, I just, I would have been happy just to see you, but to see you with him and to see, like, he is just smitten over you, girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, For sure. And we had so much fun. Yeah. Like, he just, we have a lot of similarities and his story is amazing because he actually had end stage prostate cancer with three months to live five years ago. Wow. And he ended up having a vision of Jesus reaching out, touching him in the recovery room after having a couple surgeries. And um, from that point on, he just kept healing so fast. The doctors still are like, we don't know what happened. You know, it's totally a miracle. And so it's really neat to, when I was stalking him, understanding that he actually had a cancer journey and not a lot of guys can handle it you know like right you know when you're middle-aged woman and you're trying to date or even thinking about dating it's got to be a really special guy to be able to handle the diagnosis in the first place um because technically it's terminal you know people say that and um you know you're not really offering a lot of hope or a future if, if you want to talk about um diagnoses and you know, reality of what doctors will tell you. So, yeah, it was really interesting to meet him because it was when I was looking at his Facebook page, I was like, this guy could handle my story. He could handle me. 
with my boys. He has two boys. And um, yeah, so it was really neat when we met and started talking and just realized that God had put us together, you know, a bazillion years ago and knowing, knowing that we need each other. And the pairing is just so cool, like how we just interlace with our gifts and our strengths and weaknesses and how we can help each other. And, you know, I have four boys, he has two, and they all literally are in age order. It's the craziest thing. His <laughs> boys fit right in. I didn't know before, that. That's awesome. Yeah, before their last birthday, because my last child just had a birthday, they were 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. Oh my gosh. And it's just so funny, like, to have that, that time of year. But yeah. then one of them had a birthday, so messed it up. But uh, it'll happen. Yeah, it's been it'll really fun. Again. They don't all live with us, so that that makes it way easy. You know, we only have two of them with us. Right. But uh, it's been really special to have just another dad in their life, and then yeah. for his boys to have a mom here because right. their mom's kind of been out of the picture okay. forever for eighteen years. So just wow. on and off. Yeah. So yeah, it's been really neat to. Like totally didn't see this coming, but just to have I this feel like whole new beautiful oh, part of our lives. And I feel like that's always how it happens. Like, you mm-hmm. know, the moment where you aren't looking, right? And yes. you're not searching for totally. something is the moment when it shows up. Um, yeah. And it isn't always maybe what you realized that you needed um, in that moment, but it is. Yeah, for so. sure. And he's my best friend. I'm like, how do you find somebody to be your perfect best friend you know that can put up with all your crazy stuff in middle age you know you bring a lot of baggage and just habits oh absolutely to a relationship and it's just amazing like you know some of we just figured out the stuff that is really important like both of our faith you know the way we parent love our kids and how we love other people and we have like so much in our cancer story that's part of what's important to us and that those are all the things that really matter. And then the other, the other stuff you just kind of work through and it's just not deal breakers, you know? And, well, and I so think it's been really cool. And I think you, the two of you come from a different perspective, right? You know, both of mm-hmm. you have had a diagnosis of stage four and, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I, I can't really speak to it. Um, I, you know, I don't have that diagnosis, but it, just the people that I know in my life um, who, who have had that diagnosis, you know, I think it puts things into perspective and, you know, the things that might have become a deal breaker previously aren't so much now, you know, because you realize what's important and what's not, you know. Right. And if he leaves his dirty socks, you know, at the bottom of the bed or, you know, whatever it might be, okay, fine. (laughs) You know, might not like it, but is that really going to be the end of the relationship because of the dirty Mm -hmm. socks, you know? It's not even worth fighting over. Honestly, like we, we are, we don't really fight. Like we just don't, those aren't, they don't matter. It's like, I'll just pick them up and move them or be like, hey, bud, I'll, do you mind if you move these? <laughs> There's the laundry basket, you know, like yeah. that's how we are now. And it's, it's yeah. cool as we've like been married now for eight months. We're yeah. figuring that all out. And we've had some really rough last four months, which I want to tell you about. Yeah. Well, and I want to, you know, a little bit about it. I do, but I want to, I do want to touch on. So in, in January you got married. Yes. And then in January you also started a foundation together. We did. So as I was, like getting to know him, he was telling me, you know, I was like, you know, doing irrigation and landscaping. He had a great company for years that he was running and really successful. 
and then wrote his book and just felt like I was calling him to help coach people that were going through cancer. And naturally these people were just finding him somehow. And, um, part of his background is like, you know, he's just really energetic and kind of has that whole coach mentality anyway. And so he just started telling people like, cause they're asking, what did you do? And he's like, well, I had to build back my body. Like, you know, yes, I was healed, but I had a broken body from prostate cancer and just lost 40 pounds. So he had to like build all that muscle back up and he was a gym rat before, <laughs> before <laughs> his cancer. So, you know, we both have these experiences too. Like our bodies are not the same. They weren't the way yeah. they were before we had our diagnoses. So he started juicing and he was using like really good essential oils like frankincense and copaiba and a couple other ones that really help him. And, um, you know, his realizing like how much family and love and community is such a big part of it part of healing you need to have people around you and movement is really huge so there's all these like pillars in his mind that he would help teach people and I was like why don't you start like a some kind of business like that like you should be you know have a nonprofit. and so we started talking about that and then we obviously got engaged and we're like okay I think this is where God's calling us next is to start a nonprofit together we can help people because I had been doing it on my like different terms just through friends of friends, you know, that breast yeah. cancer and would just naturally coach them too. And so I think, you know, God's given both us very upbeat personalities and just love for people and just want to help people and serve them. And so, yeah, we just kept praying through it and we filled out the 501c3 paperwork and got it back in four weeks and we thought it would take six months. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like the best turnaround. It was just like one thing after another. We got our website we got our name and our dot com and just built it ourselves because I was like oh, we don't have a budget to like hire somebody so yeah. you know so we just kind of figured it out and um over the last you know the first few months of the year we actually did a trip out east through Texas and Tennessee and met with some clients that he had met with and um just made a lot of connections and it's really cool like we'll go to a coffee shop and end up talking to the whole coffee shop <laughs> about our stories. And so part of that's like also Chuck's very dynamic personality, yes. you know, but yes, he, he has such a great story <laughs> and it's such a story of hope, and, you know, the ability to be healed and to not have to die from cancer, you know, like that's kind of where you go in your mind. I struggled it, with it till I actually met him to like, I couldn't dream. I couldn't think of, Right. You know, I could think of maybe one trip to do this year, but I had nothing on the calendar for this year. Like, I just didn't know how to plan for my life. And yeah. you almost need somebody to give you permission to live, you know. And so that's been something I've watched him do and talk to people in hospice. And they're getting up and sending us videos of them dancing with their family and playing cards and smiling. And oh, they're not I in bed it. with the sheets pulled up to their nose. You know, they're actually living, like, however that looks for their family right. having great memories and you know some people die and then some people actually are doing really well because they've got like this fight in their life to work work at it you know we always say there's a doctor's plan the medical plan and then there's the mindset your plan yes and you have so much control over your healing because you know what if the doctor's plan doesn't work then all your plans are gone right so right. you can't bank on that one and um, I've seen it in my own life, you know, in the last few months, 
So starting February, I started losing my voice, which you can probably hear a little bit. And I knew something was going on in March um, where, like, I kept losing my breath. My heart rate kept going up. And so my oncologist sent me to the cardiologist, and they put monitors on me. And, like, nobody could figure out. And I'm like, there's something going on. There's something new. Well, and, and you had been in the hospital like, not then, not, not then. at that okay. point yet. No. So this is all of March. I was like, something's going on. And so my neck started hurting. And this is all when COVID started the end of March, and part of the beginning of April. So I had a, a chiropractor come to my house and adjust my neck. And I was like, you know, it's not helping. And um, finally, I convinced my doctor to let me have my CT scan early and had to pay for it myself. But oh. I was so convinced something was going on. And um, the day... You know, I got my results the same day, and they're like, your cancer has spread <laughs> all over the place. You know, now I had a liver spot. I had something going on maybe in my neck. I had um, just a bunch of growth. And um, one was pressing on my pulmonary artery and airway, which was causing all these problems for me and my breathing. And um, so then I, they're like, you need to go to the radiologist today. You need to start radiation, get mapped. Next week, we're going to, you know, start radiation. We're going to do a liver biopsy. Like, it's all set up for the whole next week. Wow. So, you know, it just threw me. Yeah. Well, the next day, I woke up on a Saturday, and I had so much pain in my neck that I was throwing up, like, pretty much for a couple hours. And finally, I was in so much pain that we decided to take me to the ER and, you know, during COVID, it's the last place you want to go yeah, for exactly. a lot of reasons, but especially then it was beginning the middle of April or something. And, um, so I finally, um, they put, they did like a couple tests when I got there, you know, my husband had to drop me off and I'm in pain throwing up. Well, and he couldn't in go in. ER. Yeah. He couldn't go in, but he stayed <sighs> outside in the parking lot, slept in his truck. Oh. It was late at night. And, um, they come back in, they're like, your neck is so fractured, you, the C6 part of your neck, your spine, is completely obliterated by the tumor. Wow. And so they quickly put a, you know, a brace on my neck, and they're like, we're going to let your husband come in because we're going to move you to a different hospital that has a neuro ICU because you need surgery. So, you know, I was like, what? Yeah, just yeah, really I mean, crazy everything stuff. was happening. I mean, everything just sounded like it happened so fast. And it really did. I mean, really, like, here is one of those things that, you know, I, I think it's really important that our listeners hear, whether they are our survivors or, you know, if they're caregivers or even if they haven't had an experience with cancer, but somewhere down the line, somebody they know or they end up in that situation, the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is just keep at it. You know, it's, I mean, yes. you know, I know that you have talked about your doctor and that you're comfortable with your doctor and, mm. you know, but your doctor was hesitant to send you for scans because my yes. assumption is you weren't due. You right. Weren't due for a scan. Exactly. And so, so you have to advocate for yourself. You have to, or find somebody that will, you know, right. and that's one of my biggest things. That's actually a piece of my part of the coaching is like, know your diagnosis, know what, everything about yourself, like do that right. research. Cause you can only help yourself. Yeah. And like, listen you to your, your body. Head in the sand, you're not going to help yourself, you know? Right. Yeah. So. And it's so important to listen to your body. Like our body leaves clues. Yes. You know, and the pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pain is the first. Pain. I was like, yeah, I wish I'd gone earlier. Now I know, like, right. don't let that sit. Right. Especially when you have a, 
you know, you might not think it's cancer, but yeah, it was kind of crazy, like in retrospect, realizing that that's what it all was. And I could have caught it even earlier. But it's really um, hard when you have, you know, a medical professional who is, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what the conversations were, but obviously he wasn't willing to send you initially. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. enough of a concern that he was willing to send you for that scan. Um, yep. You know, so, so it's hard, you know, when you're, when you're trying, you know, it's, it's trying to find that fine balance between being mindful of what's going on in your body, listening to your body, but then at the same time, not believing that every ache and pain is cancer. Yes. You know, yes, that's, that's always a really tricky one. Yeah. Stage four for sure. But any, like, even if you've had one or two, you, you're always worried about it. It's in the back of your mind. Absolutely. But I think you have to, I think sometimes we have to listen to our gut above mm -hmm. listening to our head, even listening to our heart. You know, I think, I think some of the times we feel things in our gut, um, and we just need to listen. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad yes. that you advocated for yourself. Obviously I'm sad that, you know, the, the doctor took a little bit longer, um, to order those scans, but I'm, yeah. you know, I'm glad that you were persistent and continued and said, we've got to do this. Yeah. And part of that story is also insurance because he was willing to eventually, you know, a week later or whatever. He's like, sure, I'll order it. But then insurance doesn't cover it because you're not hitting the 90 day mark. So I even got that expedited by calling. So, yeah, it's just there's so much you can do for yourself. It's work. And if you can't do it yourself because you just don't have the energy, get somebody to help you because it's that's such a big part of this. It's part of my story is really like a advocated for myself so many times because yes. nobody else was there for me you know right. not even like doctors and like they're there but they don't they don't have that um that sense of urgency that we do as a, as patients or caregivers so yeah that's a really big lesson that I've learned in this yeah. and something I want to convey to all my clients too is just to really don't be afraid of it don't apologize for it just do it yeah, no, there is no apology in this. <laughs> when yeah. you are in the fight for your life, um, there yeah. are there are no apologies. Like you do whatever it is that you need to do. Um, mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't, you know, I don't care what stage it is. Um, you know, obviously there are some things that are more pressing, but, you know, anytime that there's any kind of cancer diagnosis, like you just, you've got to do what's good for you. Um, and mm -hmm. sometimes you have to press and sometimes you have to, you know, maybe upset some people, but don't be apologetic for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that, that weekend I ended up having surgery on Monday to cut off my car carotid artery supply to the tumor. So it would be dry enough to have surgery. And then the next day they did another surgery that took out the tumor, packed it. They put in a cage in my neck. It all went through the front of my my neck too, the surgery did. And then they fused my C5 through C7. So it was pretty significant surgery. Yeah. Ended up in the neuro ICU for a couple of days, all alone, because this is COVID, right? right? So all new coronavirus, like nobody could go anywhere. You couldn't have people come in. So I did all of this stuff alone, which is really amazing to think about how many people are alone in the hospital right now. Right. Um, and I ended up being hospitalized several times since then. Um, that actually made me lose my voice even more because they moved my esophagus and potentially injured my vocal cord. So I now have 50% of my vocal cord working. Um, 
So that was like, that was a really hard time because I couldn't eat right away. There were so many changes, a lot of losses for me. Um, my voice, being able to eat. Um, so did they have you through an IV for nutrition or were you doing like liquid? I was able, yeah, I was able to do liquids and okay. really soft foods. Um, so I went home. I was actually home on Wednesday. So I had surgery Monday, Tuesday. Oh my gosh. I was home. Cause I felt good. And I was like, I just want to be home yeah. um, with my husband, my care, <laughs> you know, people taking care of you. Yeah. So that was pretty miraculous too, to be able to get home and how to wear a, a neck brace for six to seven weeks. Um, so like every bump in the road you could feel, you know, oh it's just gosh. really unstable neck for a few weeks. Um, so I really was kind of stuck at home, except that we started radiation the following week that I got home in the hospital and it was every day during the weekday. So where um, were they targeting the radiation? So the first one was on my chest node. So pretty much like in the middle of my chest. Okay. Um, I had a lymph node that had tumor in it. So I was pressing my pulmonary artery and airway. So they wanted to attack that one first. So I had 10, day, 10 days of, yes, yeah, so it was like two and a half weeks of radiation. So I'd like have to lay down, hold my neck, <laughs> lay down on this hard table. And that was my first experience with radiation. Um, about halfway through, I started having major problems swallowing, like just mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't swallow food and just had to go back to liquid diets. So I was like doing pureed soup or pureeing whatever people brought over for food and ended up in the hospital, the ER twice because I just couldn't swallow food. And they kept saying, you know, it's probably just from your surgery, send me home. Um, and then... I finally like woke up one morning and I was like, I cannot swallow my own spit. Like this is so bad. So I went back to the ER and they did more tests and did a swallow test and figured out finally that I had so much burning inside my esophagus from the radiation that they was like 30% of it was ulcerated. So they had me on IV fluids and it took about the four days or something in the hospital. And I finally asked for a feeding tube. And they put one in and yeah. it took 10 more days for me to be able to swallow my spit. Well, <laughs> it was and I, really gross. I'm sure. And I lost 25 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, um, I think there's this misunderstanding about radiation, um, mm. you know, where it's, it's portrayed as the easier um, treatment for cancer, which I, I totally do not agree with. Um, no. you know, and, and people don't realize that, you know, even though the radiation might be targeting, targeting your chest, that radiation is moving, you know, it, it's, it's hitting scattering. other parts. Yes. It's cutting through everything. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, you're not the only person I've ever heard of that has yeah. had difficulties, you know, in their throat when the radiation mm-hmm. is targeted to the chest. Yeah. And it's really sad because, the thing with radiation is it just accumulates over time. And yes. so I call I it the gift that keeps on if, giving. Yeah. Like I'm still feeling the effects of it, even though I stopped it. Right. You know, I had 12 days total because I did let them do it on my neck for two days. And that, that was part of it. So I went back and I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. Like yeah. I'm refusing the rest of my treatment. Absolutely. Because I need to swallow and I'm still having swallowing difficulties. I ended up with the feeding tube for seven weeks and it got a name and it was called to be. <laughs> and, <laughs> Tubi went everywhere and had adventures. I even biked with Tubi, but I couldn't go in the ocean with Tubi. That was really, that was really tough, but I was very happy when I got rid of Tubi and now I'm able to go swimming again. And it really, 
affected lifestyle and, you know, the athleticism of life. (laughs) But I was very thankful. It kept me alive. I mean, I would not be alive probably without it. Absolutely. Well, but one of the things is, you know, one of the, I mean, so there are many reasons why I just absolutely adore you. Um, But one of the things that I think I adore the most is, you know, you've really been handed a hard, a hard set of cards and yet your zest for life is unlike many that I've ever seen before. Yeah, that's, it's interesting that you say the zest for life because actually one of the mottos that we've come up with for our Living Cancer Foundation, Living Hope Cancer Foundation is get up and live. And, you know, we love like the whole life is good t-shirt thing. And it kind of made us think like, hey, let's start a t-shirt line. So we've actually done that too. And hopefully we'll launch soon. Um, featuring bald heads, <laughs> Chuck and <laughs> Hannah with our dog, Jacks. But um, that whole concept of getting up and living, we would just sort of put it here and there. And all of a sudden we're like, we need to use this as our like main motto because it's such a huge part of our lives. It's just like, what do you have to do today? You get to you get to live. You wake up with breath in your lungs and you got a whole day to live. And, you know, I think we start realizing like with our diagnoses, the value of every day that God gives us and you get to live it well, or you get to, you have a choice, you know, you can lay in bed and roll over and pull up the covers with a diagnosis or with anything, you know, any kind of hard stuff, or you can choose to live with it, live well, and, you know, maybe deal with the problems. I had to go to counseling. I had some really hard things happen to me that I had to go talk to somebody about, and there's no shame in that. And just being able to conquer and deal with the things face on, you know, and, and, um, so, you know, we have these really cool things we get to do now every day that my husband and I do, and we take our weekends and enjoy them and go kayaking and like try to feel alive in a good way, you know, and that's just been something I've always wanted to, you know, I've done alone, but to be a partner with somebody that like supports me a hundred percent. And, you know, there's different, Hey, I have limits now. Like I still cannot hike and, but I can kayak. Yeah. So we got a, we got a tandem kayak. We found a used one that we could afford. Very nice. We got a tandem bike so we can bike together. My voice is really soft. And so I can't yell. I can't talk to him if he's on a bike next to me, but we can, I can talk to him when he's right in front of me on our tandem. And so like there I'm, I'm, I've been missing a lot of things in life. You know, like my voice is practically gone every day. I lose it. You know, I can't sing anymore. Um, but there's ways that I can meet my deficits, the negative things with positives. And like, it doesn't mean my life is over or I can't go biking because I can't talk to him. You know, we've figured out ways to address the problem and and still live and just really get to enjoy each other and just value like sitting next to each other with a cup of coffee, holding each other's hands. Like we've gone back to really simple things that are so special. And yeah. And that's the most important stuff. Yeah. That is the important stuff. Yeah, it is. It's the stuff that lasts and, you know, heals. Right. So it's really cool. My last scan (laughs) was two and a half weeks ago. Okay. And so I've also been on chemo. I didn't neglect it to say that. So okay. I've been on a Braxane and I've been on an immunotherapy called Tocentric for almost three months. So this week will be my fourth fourth round. 
the last one of my fourth round. And um, so my last scan showed that my cancer is almost gone. In two and a, In two and a half months' time, it is almost gone. And that's the most gone it's been in th- three years. So right. four years almost, which is really wild, right? So yeah. um, it's really exciting, you know, and I'd always said I'm not going to do chemo, but kind of got stuck in this place because I think we didn't talk about this either, that my um, tumor actually was triple negative. So it's the third time that my cancer had mutated. And triple negative is the hardest to treat because when you have hormone positive, you can block it with hormones. So really the only option with triple negative, because it's HER2 negative, is to um, treat it with chemotherapy. So depending on which chemotherapy they pick. And then now there's immunotherapy available. And I was, I was eligible for that because of, um, some of the, I was forget if it's receptors or something, but, um, so yeah, I had really good response, which is so exciting. And, you know, I don't just give chemo and dysentric the, the, no, you know, they don't get all the credit for that. Like, I think (laughs) it's so much more than that. It is. There's, So much mindset involved. And, you know, I don't live in fear, honestly. Like, I have zero fear. I don't have any because I'm just thankful for every day that I get and that, you know, I really see past this. I see past my cancer diagnosis, like, that I'm going to be completely healed. And I actually see that next summer. Like, it's going to be completely gone. And I I told my oncologist that. I'm like, don't ever tell me, like, don't give me a prognosis that I'm not going to listen to it. And he's like, I know, I already know that about <laughs> you. <laughs> but, uh, so he was like high-fiving me when he gave me my, yeah. my results. Cause he was just like kind of shocked, you know, I'm I like, bet. Hey, there, you know, I'm, I'm going fighting and this isn't, this isn't over. This isn't the end of me at all. Like no. I'm going to be completely healed. So yeah, it's pretty cool. That is. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. so excited. I am. Yeah, I think that's um, that is wonderful news. And you know, I, 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 you know, I hope that it continues. Um, you definitely have the mindset, and um, you know, everything going for you. Um, you know, to make that happen. So. Yeah. I just want to tell you, um, you know, again, first of all, you know that I adore you, um, but I am so glad that we were able to make time together to get you onto the podcast, to share your story. I have no doubt that your story is going to inspire um, many people and, you know, it's, it's, it's a powerful story. And so, you know, if people want to find you, they can go to livinghopecancerfoundation.com um, and find you guys there and, um, you know, seek out any support that they need from the two of you. Yes, it's all free and, you know, we're a nonprofit, so we're hopefully doing some fundraising soon. And, um, yeah, so it's just, that's our life work is to give back and help people, especially that missing piece when you get diagnosed and you just full of fear and the doctor's like, here's your medical plan. There's a missing piece and that's your whole mindset and it's your fight and it's that whole positive part of, of it that you're not alone in it. You've got us holding your hands and cheering you on. And there's so much you can do to make the rest of you healthy, too. So Absolutely. thank you so much for having me and for getting letting me share my story. I appreciate it so much. Melissa. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com.
Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.